Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Doug Dane. Doug is a kidnapping, physical, emotional, and sexual abuse survivor, now teaching others how to get unstuck from past trauma as a global speaker and mindset mentor. In his debut book, Mistaken Identity, he shares his heartbreaking personal experiences alongside actionable guidance and affirming truths designed to help readers break into a new life free of guilt and shame. With exercises and other interactive elements, the book paints a pathway to personal freedom and provides 30 simple life lessons that can help begin one's journey to breaking free from a traumatic past and mistaken identity. Welcome to the podcast, Doug Dane. I, I like to start with what got you out of bed this morning? Yeah, I mean, what got me out of bed this morning is the thing that gets me out of bed most mornings. Sometimes mornings are difficult, like for all of us. But um, I mean, I've got a very, you know, I've got a very definite purpose that I'm focusing on. And I picked up from one of my mentors. He said, what's the, what's the wrong that you want to write in the world? You know, what's the hill that you want to take? And so, um, yeah, I'm very purposeful in the, the work that I do and the people that I want to help and the, the wrong that I want to write in the world. So the mornings when you're kind of, you know, if you're like turning over and hitting snooze or, or you, you know, justify why you can stay in bed a little bit longer, that's what gets me out of bed. So, yeah, just thinking about helping and serving other people. And primarily it's just um, I'm very emotionally involved in um, people uh, people's struggles, meaning I'm not involved in their struggles, but a lot of people are struggling. It's only getting worse. And so um, I used to struggle for a long, long time and I was able to, you know, move, let all that go and, and pass through all that. Um, and so I just want everybody to know what I now know, because uh, you don't have to struggle. Um, most people are struggling. They don't have to, if they understood certain things, I think a lot of people would be having a much easier life, regardless of whether they came from a story like mine. So. I love this idea of, you know, helping people through their struggles and, you know, uh, guiding people through what their challenges are. What does that experience bring up for you internally? Like when you're helping other people, when you're making other lives better um, Mm -hmm. and guiding them through, you know, abuses and traumas that they've been through, what do you feel inside? What does that what does that do for you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I just I just came off a call with a, a client. I do, I do, of course, coach people as well and mentor people. And um, you know, she came from a pretty um, severe situation when she was young and she was, you know, getting into her story. And, you know, she's a, you know, 50-year-old woman now and still um, struggling in some respects. Um, she asked the same question, like, how do you carry the energy for so many people? Because um, I work with a lot of people. I do, you know, lots of live coaching calls and group coaching and, um, uh, I talked to a lot of people. I just spend my days you know, trying to help people, talk to people. She said, how do you do it? I said, well, uh, I don't take it personally. Um, so one of the, one of the keys for me to let go quickly of my own story is I stopped taking what happened to me, um, personally. In other words, it's not about me. It just simply happened to me. So, um, I've got a very big heart. I really care about people. You know, my daughter and I laugh all the time. We watch this television show. I, I cry at every show. You know, I'm a very sensitive guy, but um, I don't get um, emotionally involved with people's 
uh, problems. And primarily, I guess, because uh, I've taught myself to focus on the good, looking for the good in people, focusing on what they want and where they want to go in their life, where, you know, so many people are used to just, you know, broadcasting their problems and, and talking about their story and dragging their story forward. And their story, like my story, is not relevant to their future. So, um, you know, I, I get I get involved with people. I get to really understand what's going on for them and, and why they see themselves the way they see themselves, why they do the things that they do. Um, and, you know, through my own work and training, I've been able to get really, really good at that. Um, but um, I just don't get emotionally involved with it. So when the call is done, you know, I just I move on to the next uh, next thing and the next person. I, I, I think often of people. Um, they're on my heart, my mind a lot. I'm always just constantly trying to um, find a way to see uh, or show, get them to see the good that I see in them that they feel, but they don't really believe yet. And so I'm just always on the positive side of the law of polarity. That's where I try to stay. I don't really go to the negative. The negative is always there, but I just stay away from it. So that's a choice. That's just controlled, accurate thinking. Is there something you do physically for that? And I'm asking because, you know, when I read about trauma, there's so much talk about how movement kind of helps us to um, dissipate some of the negative energy or any of the, the, the tension that we feel. There's, you know, it sounds like you're going from one session to the next. And for me, I need to like get up and walk around between each one. Is there something you do physically? Or is, there, is there some other part of your process to letting go? Not really, because what I discovered, what a lot of people don't know, and, and I didn't know, I didn't really start to discover until about eight years ago. Very few people understand how your mind directs your brain and nervous system. I didn't know that. I mean, I grew up in, in, uh, corporate uh, environments and you know i was in business primarily most of my my career and i didn't really understand mindset and um, how my mind actually directs my brain and, and nervous system and it is a machine your subconscious is impersonal it is a machine i am the operator of the machine and so i discovered that through you know controlling the way that i think and not letting my emotions run my thinking not letting my past or my old self-image or my story run my thinking. I use emotional neutrality. I, I'm intellectually objective uh, towards myself and, and others. And so, no, I just I actually just use the power of my mind because um, there's no lacking energy, right? I mean, energy just is. There's energy coming out of the wall here. Um, I don't have to do anything with it. It's just there. I just have to use it. So, I've learned through how my mind operates um, to use the energy properly. And so I got loads of energy and I don't really run out of it. And I can go, like we could be here for eight hours straight and I'd be, I'd be on fire because I'm in charge of my thinking. Um, and I don't let thoughts control, um, influence my emotions, which ultimately impact my physical state. So I don't need a lot of, I don't need a lot of stuff to do physically to um, um, keep me on the right track or, provide energy or to, you know, deal with, um, the, the issues of, you know, trauma or any of that stuff. I used to, but not anymore. Is there a, a way that you start your day that primes you to be emotionally objective or are you yep, just definitely. waking up kind of in this state and ready to go? No, no, I'm still training myself for that. Um, yeah, there's a few things. Uh, I think we all need, um, uh, we need to start our day, uh, quietly. Um, as a society, certainly, you know, in North America here, I think we're, 
we were <clears throat> trained and conditioned, you know, get up and get doing. Um, one of my mentors said, uh, um, we're not human beings, we're human doings. And I was a human doing, you know, I was a do, do, do. So now what I do is um, I, I generally, you know, uh, I get up when I wake up, meaning when I wake up, um, I spend a little bit of time in bed and um, I read a little a little daily devotional. Um, it's called Jesus Calling. Somebody introduced me to God a few years back. I had no relationship with God. I didn't go to church. I didn't understand anything about that. And um, uh, my book talks about some meetings with God and conversations with God. And so this little book uh, called Jesus Calling, it's a little daily devotional. And it's like Jesus is talking to you. It's a little one pager. He asks you a little question. And so I, I meditate on that. I, I say the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and then I just do a little bit of um, very simple, simple meditation. Um, and it's funny, I I noticed something. My allergies were kicking up over the last uh, six months. I thought it was related to that maybe my uh, immunity had changed because of, you know, COVID or something. And I started to notice that um, when I woke up relaxed, where, um, you know, maybe there's nothing on for the morning or any deadlines, thing like that, um, I wasn't sneezing. But when I woke up, I had like the, the human, the, the to-do thing was kicking in. I was sniffling and sneezing. And I, I caught about two weeks ago. And, uh, you know, so I just became aware of that. But, uh, yeah, that's basically how I start my day. And then I get up and I, I take my dog for a nice long walk, get some fresh air. And so that's generally how I start my day. And then, um, but then I, I, then I, I point my mind, because my mind is a goal-seeking um, automatic mechanism like a GPS or a, a guidance missile. So I know what I need to do is it is goal seeking. So it's always looking for a target and the target is whatever I give attention to. So I then make sure I set my mind for, all right, you know, where am I going today? What am I trying to accomplish? Not what I'm going to do, but where do I want to get to like kind of like the next city or the next town along my journey to my ultimate goals. And so I point my mind to that and then I just spent a bit of time asking myself, um, uh, what can I do today, just today? What can I do today to move towards uh, that? So I've really learned to live um, in, uh, in, moment, in the moment. I live, try to live in 24-hour blocks. Even some days I try to live in like one or two-hour blocks. So I might get a thought that um, comes to me and I go like, you know, today I was thinking about coming on here with you. And I said, no, nope, I don't need to think about that right now because that's not till, until 2 p.m. Um, and that's proper use of your mind. A lot of people struggling with anxiety. Anxiety is just simply fear of the future. You're worrying about something ahead. And the key to operate this machine, this mind properly, is to stay in the moment as often as you can. Not looking forwards, not looking backwards, just, just like driving a car. I always use that metaphor, you know. I got a goal, I've got a destination, and I'm just driving, and I'm enjoying the journey. I'm not worrying about 10 miles down the road. I'm not definitely not concerned about what's behind me. That's not relevant to getting me where I'm going to go. So I try to sort of follow some of those rules um, on my day, and, and uh, I'm calmer than I've ever been. I'm more equitable than I've ever been. You know, the anxiety, depression, all that stuff just kind of you know, has fallen away. It comes up, of course, naturally. We all hit these spots, but it doesn't take me down. It doesn't keep me down. Yeah. When you talk about prayer and meditation, how are those two different for you? I also pray and meditate and people have different views of it. Uh, what's the importance of 
doing both? Um, well, from my, yeah, I guess it's a, it's a terminology thing. I mean, from my perspective, um, praying is, uh, is having a conversation with God. So I, I talk, you know, good morning. And I have a dialogue. You know, a friend of mine said, you know, build a relationship with God. I go, how the heck do you do that? <laughs> this is when I was really naive, you know? And so the prayer for me is, is, is a conversation. Uh, I do use, um, I do use some tools. Like there's a little app called the Bible app and it gives you, you know, some guided prayer and stuff like that. So um, I, I use that. So prayer to me is uh, asking um, for help, asking for guidance, um, asking for ideas. You know, my mentor, uh, Bob said, you know, one of the problems with people that pray is they don't stick around and listen. They ask for help, but they don't listen for the answer. So I'll, I have this dialogue and I, uh, I sometimes I write, um, it's on my phone. I maybe jot a little note on my phone and then I lay there and I wait. Um, and then for me, for meditation in my mind is um, I just take a very simple approach to meditation. Um, one is kind of a Buddhist approach. I just basically focus on breath because breath is universal. I don't I just, just keep my mind on that. Um, and I also follow something I picked up from Gandhi's a mentor of mine. And uh, I just have a mantra that I just, I three words that I repeat over and over. Um, and it's a peace, joy, love. And I just keep repeating it. Peace, joy, love, peace, joy, love. And um, um, I just, that, that's pretty much all I do. It's, I keep it, I found all this, Leo, is really simple. We, uh, we make things way too complicated. Um, um, all of our mental health and how our mind works, it's all very, very simple stuff. But we weren't, we weren't really taught to understand how it actually works. So we think it's complicated. And we don't, generally, we don't really feel that good most of the time. And we think there's something wrong with us when there's nothing really wrong with us. We're just not operating uh, our mindset properly. Yeah, you, you mentioned Gandhi. And, and I mm. see, you know, that you have a book by Gandhi. You have a photo of Gandhi. Gandhi I almost said Gandhi. Uh, of Gandhi, what when yeah. you think about Gandhi, what what character of his uh, stands out to you, or that resonates with you, or characteristic? Well, yeah. So let me just answer it two ways. So I didn't really know much about Gandhi other than you know what I'd seen growing up, you know, as a young person, a little bit. I'd watched the, the film uh, Ben Kingsley pay, played him in the movie. Um, but I read something in, you know, a book that I've you know, studied for years called, um, think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill. Um, and in that uh, Hill, the author said, um, Gandhi was able to get 200 million people to coalesce into a single idea with no violence, no money, no guns, no nothing. And, um, I, I was, I was, um, you know, when I was coming through what I'd let go of in my from my child abuse and uh, abuse as a young person, um, I, I, I had this idea that I really wanted people to understand that they didn't have to be a victim in suffering longer. So when I, when I saw those words, I go, I want to get a lot of people to coalesce into a single idea. So that really motivated me. So I started, you know, following a little bit more. And um, I was listening to an amazing audio book called Gandhi, the man, his transformation. And uh, it just told the story of, um, you know, how he started as this, this meek, little, shy, timid, scared man who didn't really do well in school. 
But um, something happened to him. He was living in South Africa and at the time, and he was seeing how uh, Indians were being really mistreated. And then when he got back home through the British rule, um, the same thing. And he just got really inspired to, to, to right a wrong. Um, it was wrong the way the British people were ruling the Indians. Um, and what I love about in, in, this, in this transformation story of his, um, the one really thing that motivated me the most is um, uh, Gandhi was known for really keeping the British on the back of their heels. They never knew what he was going to do. Um, he always operated in the 11th hour, they said. You know, he just, he was very intuitive. He gathered information and facts and his advisor and stuff like that. But he just really relied on uh, his own intuition. Um, and through his own prayers, through the Bhagavad Gita, um, he really relied on his ability to, um, you know, pick up the answers that he needed for guidance and direction. And he followed his, you know, he followed his heart. He followed his intuition. And um, uh, he was obviously very, very effective. Then, of course, you know, his whole thing was based on nonviolent resistance, which um, from a mindset perspective was very lawful, meaning he operated from the positive law or the positive polarity, the law of polarity. He operated on the positive side. So he created resistance, but in a positive way. You know, so if you got hit, you weren't allowed to hit back. If they fought, you weren't allowed to fight back. If you were killed, you weren't able to kill. You always had to stay on the side of positive polarity and love. I thought that's a brilliant, obviously it was a brilliant strategy. You know, I found out it wasn't 200 million people, it was 400 million people. that so he got to coalesce into this single movement called, called nonviolent resistance. I thought, man, oh man, we could really use that in the world. Yeah. You know, we could learn from, learn from him. <laughs> Yeah, the idea of, you know, turning the other cheek, it, it sounds like on, on some level. And, um, you know, yeah, in, in boxing, what, what's interesting is uh, they talk about um, you turn the other cheek because it allows you to absorb the blow uh, mm -hmm. more effectively than being knocked out by the blow. So, you know, I grew up with mm -hmm. this idea that, you know, you, turning the other cheek was like, you know, you, you smack me on one cheek and I'm going to, I'm not even going to hit you. I'm going to turn the other cheek, but really right. from a boxing perspective, what they're saying is you turn the other cheek so that you can absorb the blow versus mm. turning the other cheek to get hit on the other side. Right. Right. Your, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's all perspective taking, but you know, totally. you wrote, you wrote this book, um, you, you know, uh, mistaken identity. And, and it talks about, how, you, you know, you struggled with being, you know, you're kidnapped, uh, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, uh, physical abuse. T talk to me, Doug, about how, you know, your journey from victim to survivor and, and what you're doing now to support abuse survivors worldwide. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll just I'll give you the, <clears throat> try to give you the Coles Notes version. Um, so, um, I, I got adopted when I was a six-month-old baby. So my birth mom gave me up. I went into foster care. And so by six months, I'd lost, you know, two moms, uh, end up in this um, violent, alcoholic home. Both my parents were alcoholic and, and violent and really, you know, really struggling, came from a similar type of um, story in their own life. And so at a very, you know, from infant on a very young age, of course, I'm witnessing uh, all this violence. And so alcoholism alone um, a violent alcoholic home has a lot of uh, implications and impact on people. Um, but combine that with, you know, there was physical and emotional abuse at the hands of 
of our, our parents, primarily my mom. Um, I mean, my mom and dad, you know, were constantly in violent fights and the police were at our door all the time. Um, and so that carried on until I was, uh, until I was 13 years old. And of course, you know, a lot of, a lot of fallout from that, you know, physical, uh, problems, health problems, uh, you know, you take on a lot of the, the responsibility, the guilt and the shame and the responsibility, all that stuff. Um, and, um, I guess around 13 years old, I, I literally, I was the one, I kicked my mom out of the house. I called the police because of the violent fight. The police came, took her away. She never came back. And then I turned, uh, I obviously growing up in a household, I didn't get what most kids, children need or all children need. And that is love and, you know, connection and all those things. And so I went looking for it and ended up, uh, um, hanging out at this radio shack store and got hooked up with these, uh, uh, four different men's ring of pedophiles and and it was a boy scout troop and so for a couple of years sexually abused and then that ended um, uh, in, the, in this kidnapping where I got taken away by the guy that was abusing me because he was trying to avoid arrest so he took me and another friend of mine out of the province here in Canada and, and then came back and was arrested and and then that you know turns to drugs and alcohol and after that it's you know addicted to the booze and drugs and then got into business and failed miserably bankrupt relationships all failed. Um, and so that whole story, and there's a lot more to it, but, um, basically, um, I was struggling, um, in pretty much, um, uh, most areas of my life, except for financial, I was able to earn money. Um, uh, and so I looked like I had it all together. I had a pretty good lifestyle, but I didn't like myself. I didn't feel good about myself, um, anxiety, depression, very uncomfortable around people, you know, terrible, um, uh, opinion of myself, inferiority complex, comparing my, like the whole gamut and, um, trying relationships. I, I turned to relationships hoping, you know, maybe I could hide there, <laughs> but you can't hide in relationships. And of course they, they failed or I wrecked them. And, um, uh, I ended up in a, in a counselor's office. Of, uh, I guess it would have been called separation counseling, but she was she picked up on some clues fairly quickly and she started asking me some questions and she started to reveal that maybe there was a story that I wasn't aware of. And so um, she started having me investigate uh, my story. I, I met teachers. I got records from social workers. I met police officers, uh, family, friends, neighbors, and this whole story that I just told you, this all came out. It was all blocked out in my memory. And then I went public with it. And um, it was on the front page of national newspaper here in, in Toronto. Um, then I was on national television and, and um, it was in books. And people have said, you know, will you come speak? Um, uh, when the article phrase came out, um, I got the paper and I got home. There was like 600 emails in my inbox. And a lot of people, you know, congratulating me and thanking me. A lot of people suffering like me were you know, grateful that I had spoken up and it helped them. And some people elected me the leader of the, you know, child abuse movement, you know, and I started speaking. I remember my counselor said, you know, you have no right to tell people um, what to do unless you're walking the talk. And I've always been that kind of guy, you know, walk the walk or walk the talk. And um, uh, all these people were coming to me and, and they said, like, how did you do it? Like, how did you how did you, you know, go from that to where you are now? So this is 2001. And uh, uh, I said, I don't know. I, like, I knew what I did, but I couldn't transfer it to you. So then I really, I got really motivated because um, I just, I was meeting so many people 
that were struggling and and people like me that you wouldn't have known like people were shocked when my story came out like they, they, they like they just didn't know and i'm having these conversations i you know i meet you or meet a professional meet an executive you know meet a, a housewife a mom dad whatever and everybody's going on and on about you know their stories and their struggles and how they're pretending to be something they're not and how they feel about themselves so i wanted to figure out how i was able um, to let all that go. And I did let it all go. Like I let go of all the, I have no negative feelings towards it, um, towards my parents, towards the men that abuse me. Um, I actually see it as a gift. Um, in fact, I feel like I saved a little boy's life because there could have been a little boy that ended up in that family. And statistically, he might not have survived or he might be homeless or he might be in jail, but I was able to to transform through all that. And it's actually a gift because now I get to do uh, what I do and um, so that, you know, 2001 through 2014, so another 13 years, just working on it, you know, learning from others, guiding, helping them as best as I could. And then I ran into um, my, my best mentor ever, that was Bob Proctor. He started to teach me to understand how the mind works. And then once I understood that, um, then I was able to understand this mistaken identity that, um, you know, people just have the wrong view of themselves because of their story and their experience and um, it doesn't have to be that way and um, a lot of people um, are struggling um, like I say there's three major problems um, statistically 50 percent of the people that are listening to this right now men and women and it's not just North America have gone through some form of trauma or abuse and because of that it leads them to the second problem which I think 95 percent of our population suffer with is they have this mistaken identity. Um, they uh, they see themselves a certain way. They got an opinion of themselves that was formed through their upbringing, through the rules, values, beliefs, prejudices that were drilled into them at a very young age. Um, you know, never quite measuring up because if you if you didn't follow the rules, you got punished. If you did follow the rules, you never really got encouraged all that much. Uh, most people really just struggled to find their way and the parents that were raising them didn't really know what the hell they were doing um and uh, we end up with this this mistaken identity and then that leads to the third problem and the third problem which i think is getting worse is more and more people are suffering with their own mental well-being uh, and there's also a narrative now uh, around mental health and it's just been fueled more and more um and um uh, People, uh, a lot of people are living with a victim mentality. And I did that for years. Uh, it's very convenient. Um, and uh, we use our story as a reference to explain away our own lack of achievement or for the mistakes that we made. And in a lot of cases, they're justified. But you can't carry that throughout your whole life. I mean, you can, but you're going to struggle. You're going to raise children that struggle. And so now what I try to do is I just try to get people, first off, if you've got a story like mine, you don't have to drag it through your life. All you got to do is change your perception on the story. And so I just say it, that didn't happen because of me. It just simply happened to me. It wasn't about me. I don't take it personally. It could happen to anybody. And so I was able to let it go very easily once I understood that. Right. Um, and, um, I'm on a mission for people to let go of their story, drop it so they feel better about themselves and they can do better in the world and help other people 
um, do the same. But listen, the reality is, you know, this abuse is going to continue. I don't think it's going to get eradicated. Um, and people just need to see it differently. I think, uh, I think that the, um, um, the system, the, the care and protection workers, the people that deal with the people that are traumatized and abused, I think they got to change their perspective because um, they do perpetuate the victim mentality in the victim. And so if they just change the, the view for the victim so they don't carry on with the victim mentality, they won't stay a victim as long as they do. So I'm just on a mission to – basically, I'm on a mission, Leo, to eradicate judgment. That's my real mission is the problem in our world is we, we judge ourselves because we, were, we learned to judge when we were little. We watched the parents do it. They judged others. They judged us. We started to judge ourselves, and then we judge other people, and we just don't have the right opinion of ourselves. We think there's something wrong with us. There's nothing wrong with us. Just what is wrong is what we believe about ourselves or we believe to be true about ourselves. That's a mistake, and I want to clear that up for people. What's a way in which people judge themselves that they may not even be aware of? And, and I'm asking this because, to me, awareness is the first key, and sometimes we're doing a thing and we're not even aware that the, the harm or damage that is causing either to us or to our children or to our loved ones. So I, I guess let me yeah. re rephrase it in terms of how do we judge ourselves or how do we even judge others in ways that we don't even realize may be damaging? Well, yeah, first off, we have to get it straight that um, we weren't born judgmental. We were born free, full of love. Uh, we learned to judge. It's kind of like Mandela, right? We weren't born with hate in our hearts. We were we we learned to hate. Um, and so we just we have to recognize that uh, it's just something that is it like that's the real pandemic, I think. And so you just you learn to judge because you when you're little you 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 imitate the adults. You talk the way they talk. You speak the same language. You eat the foods that they eat. You 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 start out as an imitation. That's one of the chapters in the book. And um, you um, you see them you see them judging, and and uh, one of the primary causes is this these rules and values that you know. And listen, we have to have rules and values for order, but we get these rules and values um, drilled into us, and then um, if we don't follow the rule, you know, we're either punished, teased, or criticized. Uh, if we do follow the rules, we get it right. There's not a whole lot of validation around that. You're kind of expected to follow the rules, and don't break them. And so it's just it's just something that just happens to us. And uh, so it's just it's just a habit. Um, and we've just learned to do it. And like all habits, they're just automatic. You don't like a, a habit is just simply an idea that um, you don't have to think about when you were little. Leo, go brush your teeth. Go brush your teeth. Go brush your teeth. Did you brush your teeth, Leo? Go brush your teeth. And then you just start brushing your teeth. You don't have to think about it. And so judgment's the same thing. It's just a habit that we learn. Um, we learn to give ourselves a hard time because if we didn't um, um, uh, meet the bar that, with the standard that was set for us, we got judged. So we just took that on then. So then we started to judge ourselves. And that became a habit. And we everybody was doing it. Everybody was judging each other. It's just, it's just a habit and we have to recognize that. And so if it is a habit, that habit can be changed. 
I'd really love to drill down on, on this idea that you brought up of when we're judged and we, you know, err or, or make a mistake, we are teased, we are criticized, we are humiliated. Um, and, you know, it's just so many negatives. We're punished for it. But on the other side, when we do what we're quote unquote expected to do, when we do what's right or what's good, then there's no big reward. There's no upside. There's no big pats on the backs. There's no high fives. There's no kudos. There's no chocolate laid on your pillow. It's just like, yeah, you're (laughs) supposed to do it. And and that's it. But so the the downside is really down, but the, but the upside is kind of like breaking even. It sounds like. Yeah, it, it is, it's not a real great, uh, not a real great upside. Um, and the problem too is that just when you get close to the bar, the bar gets moved on you again. Like you just never seem to measure up. And what's the bizarrest thing that I really came to realize is that pretty much all the rules that we're expected to follow, they're all man-made. You know, they're all made up by humans. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a real bugger. You, you just, we just, and it's just, a listen, it's a generational perpetual perpetuating cycle. Uh, and I think actually the, 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 the perpetuating cycle is actually worsening, uh, not getting better. Um, you know, one of my mentors who I followed for a long time, he said, um, you know, judgment and, and fear of criticism and comparing yourself that really didn't come along until commercialism really took off, you know, um, and advertisers, you know, do you have the nicest car? You know, keeping up with the Joneses. Um, I mean, society has perpetuated this idea of comparing ourselves to, to others. So, um, no, you just, uh, you just never seem to, uh, be good enough. And what's really, what really causes conflict that people aren't aware of. I think a lot of people are walking around. They're just, they just don't feel good about themselves or they're just, they're, they're not in harmony. They're just, something just doesn't feel right because the rules that you were expected to follow, um, they might not have matched up for you. You know, like we're all completely individual by design, by our creator. There's nobody like us, but we're all programmed to be the same. Right. And we're so we're told we're individuals, you know, express yourself, be yourself. But then you're told to conform. Um, so conformity is a big driver too. You know, we've got conformity and the requirement for that. And we also have uh, uh, the fear of criticism, what other people are going to think. And so we tend to, we tend to cave a lot. So. so what are some of the ways in which we can validate ourselves? Because I, I know from, and I'm asking this because I recognize that I'm very good at beating myself up, at punishing myself, sab- sabotaging. and But in terms of celebrating my wins and patting myself on the back, like how do you do that? And, and what ways do you celebrate and validate yourself? Um, you know, I got myself to a point where I don't need it. Uh, and here's how I did it. A um, couple things. So one is, again, through, you know, studying uh, how this mind works, proper use of the machine and all that. Um, your your mind is this, like you've got this built-in GPS. It's goal-seeking. It's creative. 
Um, but it only works under certain conditions. It only works if you're focused on the present moment. Uh, you're not looking too far into the future. You're not definitely not looking backwards. Um, and uh, if you let it work, it will navigate you towards um, your uh, your destination. And the way it operates, much like a torpedo, is it it learns through failure. So I love failure. I love it because what's happened? I know my mind. I'm using it properly. I'm I'm failing my way to the target. Um, and I think we can have failures and we can make mistakes. And listen, I made a lot of mistakes because of the distortion I came up with. Um, but the other thing I did is um, I went to the only place where I could get forgiveness. There's only one place to go. Okay. True forgiveness is forgetting. That's how forgiveness operates. Right. And so I just forgot my past mistakes because that's how the mind works. You forget the past mistakes and you have to train yourself. Nope, I'm not looking backwards. Nope, I'm not looking backwards. Um, I don't let my imagination replay things in my memory or my story. And um, that's the proper use of my mind. And so I just, when I started meeting God and a friend of mine was introducing me to him and have these dialogues, I thought, I started to look, I looked at the story of Jesus and I don't know that much about it yet still. I'm still learning, but. I thought, all right, well, he came here. God sends his only son. He sends him here. Um, the New Test, Old Testament's out. The New Testament's in. And um, you're forgiven. And, you know, I'm going to take my son's life, give up my son's life for that. And you're forgiven. And so, I think, all right, I'll take that. I'll, I'll go with that. Um, and I just, I just trained myself that I don't need validation and approval. There was a lot of things I didn't get when I was young that I should have but I don't need it anymore. I'm not a child. I'm an adult, right? But because of our trauma and our abuse and the judgment and that we, we operate more from our emotions than from our intellect, um, we act like kids. You know, one of the chapters in my book is called grow up. I was, I was basically a, you know, a kid walking around an adult body. And then I was going to have a daughter. I thought I better grow up. Because I was a kid that turned into an adult that struggled. There's no way I was going to raise a kid that struggled. And so that was my next mission, you know. So that's kind of the way I, I approach it. And I just keep I just keep confirming I don't need validation and approval. So I keep training my mind with a new belief that is more in sync with being harmonious and, and experiencing joy and calmness of mind. Um, I just, you basically just kind of create new beliefs because the beliefs that most of us picked up along the way, they're not true. And if you're not, I just say, listen, are you happy, Leo, in your life? Yes or no. Um, is your way working? Yes or no. Well, then maybe, you know, the way you learned is just wrong. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just the way you learn to operate that's wrong. And we have to wake up because if you're not feeling good most of the time in your life, you're just... You're just locked into a series of ideas, rules, values, and beliefs that are wrong. I've heard Warren Buffett just, say, uh, don't yeah. attack the person, attack the system. Because it's, yes. not, it's not the person who is the system that they're operating under. Uh, That's right. That is usually the issue. And we, we need That's to address right. the system or the system that you created with them. Uh, Doug, That's you know, right. one of the questions I want to ask is, I, I, you know, you, you talk so much about uh, validation and not needing approval from others. I would imagine, though, that to 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 reach 
you know, Gandhi status in terms of helping 400,000 people or even, even more, um, that it requires collaboration. It requires community. It requires teamwork. How do you, um, collaborate with others? Or I guess I should say, how do you ask for help or assistance from others in a way that's empowering in a, in a way that's not, you're not seeking approval, but you're seeking uh, collaboration and teamwork? Because I don't want my listeners to think that, you know, not needing a validation or not needing approval means that you do everything by yourself. I, I, oh, yeah. I want to make it very clear that it requires a group and team effort and and so how do Absolutely. you get that without feeling like you're giving away power? Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up for your listeners because you know one of the mistakes I made is I operated as a lone wolf way too long because um, I was afraid to ask for help. You know, because asking for help means you sometimes you have to kind of reveal the problem, which then basically opens up this vulnerability to be potentially judged because you know you you share your story and you're worried about being. Uh, judged. And so that was a mistake uh, that I made. And I found actually, when I started telling my story and speaking up, um, there was a lot more collaboration that began. Um, I normalized myself and the person hearing my story, they felt normalized and then they would share their story. So very important. You don't do this by yourself. However, um, we as a society, we are taught to go ask people for their opinion. And I don't think that's a good idea. I think if you're going to go to anybody for uh, collaboration and for advice, because listen, I don't know everything to get to my to my goals. You know, none of us do. Um, the most successful people in history, most of them came from poverty and no education and a lot of struggles. Um, and one thing that they did do is they collaborated um, and they. They got connected with people that have knowledge and expertise in an area, and they formed a, a, a group, a team, a mastermind, call it whatever you want. Um, but the key is, you know, you only ask people for advice if they have knowledge that can help you solve your problem and get to your goal. So I always say, listen, if you want advice on how to, you know, become wealthy, don't go ask poor people for advice. But that's what we do. We're we're conditioned to ask people their opinion. What do you think I should do, Leo? What do you think I should do, John? What do you think I should do? So don't, what we got to stop doing is stop broadcasting our problems um, and stop asking for opinions from people that have problems. Um, like you, when you have a medical problem, you go to a doctor, you, you don't go to a plumber. I mean, go to the right people. And then what you want to find is you, and I have a very small circle now um, for a couple of reasons. One is um, I like, deep, meaningful relationships where we have real conversations. But more importantly is um, I'm on a mission and I need to keep close with people that are in sympathy and harmony with what I'm trying to do. Because because of judgment, all the things we've already talked about, a lot of people will be against what you're trying to do from their own you know viewpoint, their own rules, their own value system, whatever. And so uh, you do need help. You can't do it by yourself. Uh, you got to really practice um, doing that. And you'll see that if you do that, you won't be judged as much as you think you will be. Um, if you go to people that are in sympathy and harmony with the problem you're trying to solve or the, what you're trying to achieve. That, uh, that's, the, that's my viewpoint on it. 
Well, I know that your book has, you know, 30 simple life lessons that can help, uh, you know, a person to, you know, begin their journey of breaking free from a traumatic past and mistaken identity. Uh, in closing, is there is there something that you want to share with the listeners to help them break free that we haven't discussed? I think the I think the key really that I, I would like to leave people with is that uh, it's a lot easier to be yourself than striving and straying to be somebody that you're not. And if you don't feel quite yourself, if you don't really feel good about yourself, it just means that you're locked into a set of ideas that don't really line up with you. And I think the key to really discovering who you really are is um, just take a look at what you're you're passionate about or you know what you enjoy doing or how you'd like to you know kind of spend your days uh, recognizing as you entertain those ideas the fear of criticism and conformity and everything that you've learned along the way will do what it can to talk you out of those ideas but i think i think really the key is we just got to start being ourselves and we got to train ourselves not to be worrying about what other people are thinking about us because they're not and if we can just get that piece right, we can, like I say in the book, what I just try to do over time is just distance myself each day and get as far away as I can from worrying what other people think. And the farther I get away from that, the freer I feel, the more I can be myself. And then by being yourself, you can do good work. You know, you can really help people and uh, help your world, help change world, change companies, create we're a lot more creative um, and we're a lot more effective when we be ourselves. And so I would just say, if you're listening, just muster up the courage to be yourself. That's a hell of a lot easier. And last question, Doug, because I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life before you kill yourself. What would you say to them? Well, if you're at that point, um, I think there's probably some things that you haven't done that you probably uh, need to do. Um, but before you kill yourself, I think you you've got to um, you got to get outside of yourself and your situation, and you have to be objective. And I think you got to gather some facts as to why are you feeling the way you're feeling. Um, why are you? acting the way you're acting, uh, why are you even considering this? And when you're at that stage, you're not very objective. You're definitely not neutral in your emotion. And so I think before you pull the trigger, so to speak, um, I think you should probably at least give your true self a chance to live and check this false self that's telling you that you should die. Thank you so much, Doug Dang. Thank you so much, listeners, for listening in. Uh, go check out his book, Mistaken Identity. You can get it wherever books are sold. Uh, thank you for tuning in to another episode. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, for you calling the 988 number or any of the international phone numbers that are listed. If you're in Singapore, Shanghai, Budapest, if you're in South Africa, wherever you are, you can talk, chat, text. You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Doug. Thank you.